Hello and welcome to By the Mash Turn, a podcast by a couple of nerds where we brew some beer, drink some beer and have a nice little chat about some beer. I'm Mike Harrison Wood. I'm Carl Noble. And uh, none of that intro is true. <laughs> we're not We're not doing it, are we? We're not talking about beer. No. We're not, we're not doing a beer. We're not doing a we're beer. Doing something else. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite... I'm quite excited by this, so it's yeah. the start of like a new little mini-series which is going to happen sporadically for us. Yeah, it's something called Fermentation Variation, and where we look, instead of our normal wheelhouse of beer, we are going to be looking at all other types of fermentation. So it might be things like wine, honey, uh, mead, sorry, cider, all of that. Yeah. And today... We're, well, we're, we're going to look at a wine. A wine. Now... As as you said, this is not our wheelhouse. Like we have very little idea of what we're doing. I have made some wines before, mm, so but, you have a lot more experience than me. Yeah, I mean, normally my flatmate is the one who's kind of taking care of most of the wine making things, so he has most of the kind of most of the knowledge. He's read the books. Yeah, um, I've just kind of winged it. Yeah. Um, He's taught you all he knows. Well, not quite. He, okay. he, he, he knows quite a lot. Well, he knows more than I do, but he's not here. He's at work, so he's he's not going to be part of the episode. So we're just going to have to try and take you through, as best we can, um, a very, very basic recipe for wine. Um, yeah. Now, what, what wine are we doing? We're going to use tinned fruit. Tinned fruit. Yeah, so... Um, the reason this came up is I was clearing out the cupboards and I had a lot of tin fruit kicking about um, and I realised that I don't live in the 70s anymore so I don't need um, tinned tropical fruit. So, no. <laughs> so I thought, well, what am I going to do with all of this fruit? Because I had various different types and I'll go into that a bit more. Um, but having some basic brewing equipment lying about, it's very easy to turn that into wine. Yeah. Um, now, anybody who has... So anybody who does home brewing will have the equipment lying around to make this type of wine. And to be honest, most types of wine. Um, if you are listening to this and you don't have certain types of equipment, uh, if you go onto the maltmiller.co.uk, then you will be able to find uh, some basic home brewing starter kits. Uh, and they will have everything that you need. So it's basically just plastic buckets, um, some mash paddles, things like that. But they also have, as well as a whole range of um, beer home brewing stuff, they also have wine yeasts, um, which is really quite helpful. And they have yeah. straining bags um, for not just for wine making, but they also do a lot of cider making. So they've got apple presses um, and various different bits like that. So... You know, if you are looking for that equipment, head over to the malt miller and, you know, they've got pretty much most of what you need, um, not just for brewing beer. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, from the minimal amount of research I've done, uh, as I say, you know more than me, Cal, uh, it's actually quite simple. Uh, the the actual process yeah. of, of making the wine maybe so, not the theory behind it but, so uh, my my experience with wine making and beer making obviously I've got a lot more experience making beer beer is a lot harder to make than wine is making good beer is a lot easier than making uh, hard uh, making good wine right so in my experience making the wine is simple but what you get out of it isn't <laughs> normally it amazing does it, it it's yeah. not normally amazing okay. maybe it's just 
I'm bad at making wine, one of the two. But Maybe. I found making beer a lot easier. Um, but the process to making wine initially is really simple. So all you need to do is you get the fruit, you pulp it up, however you might do that, right. in a bucket. And that's, so that's whether or not you have fresh or tinned. Yeah, or so I mean, I've, I've, I've used... Um, I've used tin fruit. Well, for this one, I've used tin fruit, but I've been down the fruit market. So it's really good Like if you're around the fruit market or end of the week or end of the day and they're dishing out loads of very cheap fruit. It's a really good way of using that fruit up. Mm -hmm. And then you just come home, you pulp it, put it into a bucket um, and go from there, really. So it's it's a really simple method. Um, I'll take you through what I did. Yeah, what's what's your process? Um, So got the tin fruit. Siphoned off all of the syrup off from the tinned fruit, put that um, into a different vessel. So I just put that into a jug in the kitchen. Um, now, I had tins of tropical fruit, uh, which had glassier cherries in them, <laughs> which, as far as I'm concerned, are not real cherries at all. Um, so They're yeah. not even that tropical, really. I mean, a bit... Well, because we, 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 we looked at this, what, yeah. what is... So, what is the definition of a tropical so fruit? One, like? one very, very quick summary of what makes a tropical fruit is that the plant cannot survive frost. So if it's a if it's a fruit of a plant that dies during the frost, then it's tropical. Yeah, I mean that is a very broad, very broad. So cherries, not cherry, tropical. no, because that's a tree. Because a cherry fine. tree can definitely yeah. survive the frost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it like. It was a, cl- a classic sort of like a 70s dessert tropical fruit uh, tin. Like, that's what was in there. I also had lots of tins of pineapple. I had some lychees, uh, some raspberries, um, th- oh, and some peaches as well. You've yeah. got to have tin peaches, obviously. So it's a it's a big old mix of like various different tin fruits. And the good thing about tin fruits is they're already processed. So a lot of like easily accessible sugars, you don't really need to worry about mashing them up too much. Um, but then we also had kicking around the house um, a couple of oranges, which were looking like they were going past past their best. So chopped them up, put them in. Um, we had, whilst when there, a bit of ginger as well. Because we thought, well, why not? Let's add why a bit not? of ginger root into that. Yeah. So we did. Uh, that obviously we chopped through. up a little bit more. Uh, and then we just used a hand masher. Okay. To smush it all. As in like mashed potato. Yeah, like a style. mashed potato okay. masher. Like, like, so all of this just went into a 25-litre fermentation bucket. Mm-hmm. And then we smashed all that up. Um, I had my hot liquor tank on the go. Mm-hmm. So there was about uh, eight litres of water getting up to the boil mm-hmm. in that. So in the bucket is all of this pulped fruit. Um, and then you add some citric acid. Yeah. So citric acid um, helps to make wine slightly sweeter as opposed to uh, adding tannins, which make it slightly drier. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I presume it's more like well, like a balance of flavour thing as well. Yes, right? yeah. So, 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 so like when you're brewing beer, you've got grain and uh, hops. You want to balance out the flavour depending on what type of wine you're making. Uh, or sorry, what type of beer you're making. So if you're making wine, you want to do the same. If you want a sweet wine, you need to, you need to kind of direct the chemistry one way. If you want a drier wine, you need to direct the, direct the chemistry the other way. Um, so we put all the fruit in, a little bit of citric acid. Mm. Um, once the water was boiling, we then added the water directly into and on top of the fruit. So this 
helps to sterilize the whole thing. Okay, so there's, there's none of the fruit that naturally uh, the the yeasts or bacteria that yeah. Naturally so if live on if the you're using fruit. Um, fruit that you have bought, or yeah. if you're using uh, elderflowers or elderberries that you've picked yourself, because um, that is definitely so easy to do. You can go mm. out and you can pick this fruit yourself if you've got spare fruit kicking about. Uh, people tend to use rhubarb quite a lot if they've got a lot of rhubarb going spare. Um, that will have natural yeast on it. And what yeah. you don't want to do is you don't want to end up with a wild ferment. Well, you might want to, but not today. Not today. That's no. not what we're looking at. But with tin fruit, not not too much to worry about yeah. because it's sterile anyway. It's been pasteurised, doesn't it? So. But because we were putting in stuff from elsewhere, decided boiling water on top. And what that does is that also helps break down some of the cell walls because you're basically kind of cooking it a little bit. Mm. Uh, so that helps break everything down, allowing those sugars to kind of seep out. Leave that for about uh, 24 hours to cool down. Wow. Because Long time. a lot of sugar, sugar and water really holds its heat. So whilst we were pouring in the boiling water, we also added three kilograms of sugar. Oh, okay. So <laughs> Nice. Exactly. Um, you do have to be careful at this point. Like whilst you're mixing, if you've got boiling water and sugar, like just mm. make sure you've, you know, wear rubber gloves something like that because you don't want to get any of that on your skin it is it's it's sticky and hot basically yeah very bad um most fermentation buckets can deal with that sort of heat you can't boil water in them but you can put boiling water into them and they will be fine they won't just melt away but that's why you use proper fermentation buckets uh because they're designed to have that you know level of heat in them Mm. so stir that all through we left that for 24 hours yeah um with the lid on no yeah yeah with the lid on so you always keep the lid on um no yeast has been added at this point once it cooled that's when we took a gravity reading Mm -hmm. uh because all the sugar was in at that point um realized it was going to come out at about 19 percent if it fermented all the way down to below below beer because like wine normally goes to pretty much one zero 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 yeah that like goes yeah. right down because everything's fermentable near enough yeah there's there's not the sort of longer chain malt sugars in there no the, the, no you really don't get complex the complexity stuff. um mm. so decided to back liquor a little bit so back liquoring is just where you add water to it to make sure that it gets down to a gravity level that you're happy with mm-hmm. so it just makes it weaker dilutes it um handily if you just use bottled water full of like it's sterilized already so you don't mm-hmm. need to worry about boiling water cooling it and putting it in um and that's when we pitched the yeast um so i just used a yeast with a yeast compound in it to give it the nutrients that are required um and that's now happily fermenting away in a bucket okay any particular type of yeast um not off the top of my head um <laughs> it is ju- it was just a like a wine it, yeast. it was a wine yeast that we've had in the house for um quite a while so it's a dried yeast um and it's wine yeast tends to be a bit more uh, robust than a beer yeast, but also slightly more forgiving as well. Um, mm. So you don't need to worry too much about temperature control, or at least not that I've found. Right. Okay. But I'm wondering whether or not that is why my wine is coming out tasting not quite as good. Uh, it's interesting because, especially with a tropical wine yeah because a lot of some of the esters that are produced from 
fermentation that is less than clean yes can often go into that sort of tropical edge so you know isoamyl acetate is the sort of banana paired yep. one uh you've got ethyl butyrate as well that's a bit more sort of pineapple yeah yeah like they're gonna be masked or even support the tropical notes from yes everything well, so, else well, in like, there anyway what, what i'm so. thinking is whether or not um wine yeast doesn't give off a lot of esters in general right. because wine yeast is different to beer yeast oh yes yeah it's not saccharomyces yeah it? it's, it, it's, it's something it, else yeah it's 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 not quite the same so the i've never well i've known a lot of people who've done like wine making and nobody's ever really bothered with temperature control okay um or at least for kind of farmhouse wines homemade wines mm. um nobody's ever really kind of dealt with temperature control so this is quite handy if your fermentation fridge is full or yeah. whatever you're using to control um control your fermentation yeah, yeah. is full then you can just ferment like mine's in the hallway at the moment downside to having it in your hallway is man it's funky yeah, I, like, I yeah, I've had a whiff of it. So funky because you've not done this today. In in all honesty, this is a couple yeah, so, days old. Yeah, so yeah. It's, so it's fermenting away now, which is brilliant. So um, it's in the bucket, and you have to stir the fruit, stir the stir the pulp through, and we have to leave that to sit for ten days in mm-hmm. the fermentation bucket, and that's from that point, we will then rack it into demijohns because uh, we've got a load of demijohns in the house and I've never used them for fermenting beer in um, <laughs> but we have fermented wine in them before and they look amazing um, and that's where you kind of uh, decanted into that after 10 days and I think that's mainly because that's the a large part of the um, fermentation happens during that time in the secondary rather yeah than, so yeah. Then, you, then you pop the bubbler in uh, which is basically just the airlock mm. um, and just let that ferment out until it starts to clear now the uh, the stirring thing sounds very worrying. Like uh, just as as someone who's only exclusively ever done beer, yeah, you don't want to be stirring the fermentation vessel. The like you you're breaking the CO two blanket. Yeah, I mean the amount of CO two that is coming off that thing, you're never gonna worry. Basically, um, so I've been stirring it with a sterilized mash paddle, mm-hmm. um, and what that does is that it mixes the fruit and it mixes the yeast throughout the whole. Um, wine every single time you do it and you're supposed to, you're supposed to do this and like really stir it up every day for 10 days every day every every, every day you're supposed to do that um and that helps to kind of just homogenize everything just get everything mixed through um so you don't end up with a lot of this fruit pulp sat mm. on the top because if it sits on the top then it'll start to rot right yeah 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 whereas if you mix it through then it won't Okay. Um, so I think so there is actually a mechanical uh, yeah. reason. So for doing as, that. as far as I know, that's that's why you do that process. But yeah. after that point, once it's in the um, in the demijohns, by that point you're getting CO2, like a good CO two blanket on top, and you can take it off the fruit, so that it's just the liquid that's fermenting right, rather yeah. than having the fruit pulp in there, um, because idea. that stops the fruit pulp from rotting. Because that mm. is what will happen, and you'll be sieving that. In yes, some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that, that'll go through a strainer, and then all, all the juice will just go into the demijohns, and then you'll just let that sit and ferment. Um, and that can take quite a while because mm. there's a lot of sugar in there, and, and that that can take up to two weeks at normal temperature, um, and that allows it time to ferment out and also settle. Yeah. And what I've found in the past is um, 
you end up with very very fine flocculent yeast okay um so any any sort of movement now you've got hazy hazy wine again so you've got to be real when you when you decant it into um or wanting to bottle what we've done in the past is basically decant it from a demijohn into another demijohn let it sit for another 24 hours go from there to another demijohn and just (laughs) Just keep doing that and just keep racking off the sediment every single time just so that when you finally come around to bottling there's very very little sediment in there and they they drop super clear um but you do want to avoid um any sorts of haze because uh one of the chemicals that we use in this is pectolase Mm. Uh, and pectolase helps drop out pectin yeah because that's that's involved in jam making and stuff like that yeah so you just end up with these like yeah you end up with these like snotty gloopy things floating around in your wine which is lovely unpleasant yeah uh, as far as i can tell might be Um, tasty but yeah one of the interesting things um that you have to add to certain wines to make it dry is you have to add tannin okay yeah, now, I guess as a sort of palate balancer in the yes. same way that hops added bitterness. And- yes, exactly. So, like, if you want something to, to have that sort of, like, dryness once, you know, after you've swallowed it, then there has to be a higher amount of tannin. Mm. Um, and as far as I can tell, the acidity tannin is there on opposite ends. So the more acid makes it slightly sweeter, oddly, um, and the more tannin makes it slightly drier. Okay. So you want to try and balance these two things out. So what we did, obviously, we we added um, some citric acid through the fruits that we mm. were using, um, but we also added tannins because there's no tannin in any of the tin fruit. So tannin is right. found in uh, skins such as grape skins, um, so red like, wine, like 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 like, like, like red grapes, yeah. lots of tannin. Stalks, yeah, that have lot lots of tannin. Um, and you can also get tannin. <coughs> you can also get tannin in grain as well. Yeah. So yeah, I know, you can sometimes extract too much tannin through yes. yeah their bad mashing. Practices, yeah, which but, gives it a drying sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. feeling. Um, but obviously, we didn't have any of that stuff, so we just used tea. Okay. We just we just made a pot. Yeah. We just made a pot of tea. Let it cool down and then added that into um, the fermenter while it's fermenting. Lovely. So, yeah. And that's that's kind of it. That's the process that we're following. And it's as, as funky as it smells. It's starting to taste like wine. Yeah. It's genuinely starting to taste sweet at the moment, but it's still got a lot of sugar left to work through. It's Because uh, I, I picked in when you were giving it a stir earlier. Yeah. The smell, obviously. Eggy. Very, very pungent. Yeah. Very eggy. Um, but yeah, fi- actively fizzy. Yeah. Like you could bubbles on the top. Mad, isn't see. it? Yeah, like they are, the fermentation is kicking off yeah. very quickly. Now, obviously, um, this isn't our, this isn't what we normally do. So there no. is probably so much that I have either got wrong, missed <laughs> out. This, I will get wine out of this. Yeah. That's that's the thing. Like, is that, is that, easy to make wine it's not necessarily going to be good wine but it is wine there is a lot of information out there but at this point i would like to reach out to any home brewers that <laughs> know how to make wine please get in touch on the twitter get in touch um through gmail uh, and it's basically just at by the mash ton on twitter 
or bythemashton at gmail.com. Do get in touch. Tell us where we've gone wrong, um, <laughs> you know, and we we want to learn. That's that's why yeah, we do this, yeah. you know. We learn through brewing, and now we're brewing something different, you know. Hopefully we will get better, because I would like to do more wines. I'd like to get good at making wine, basically. Yeah, yeah. Has your uh, process changed over the years as well? Like, <sighs> have you learnt? It hasn't, because we don't, because we don't do it regularly enough. Um, and you know, realistically, I haven't really done that much research. I just know how to make a very basic wine, mm. and I've never progressed beyond that because I've concentrated on making beer. You know, that's all. All the books I'm reading are on making beer. All the yeah, yeah. the podcasts I'm listening to are about making beer, and I think maybe now I've got to the point where I'm reasonably comfortable making beer. That maybe I should start focusing on right. Let's try and get a similar sort of knowledge base. I have for beer around wine because I understand fermentation. Yeah, and yeah, I have yeah. the equipment. And there's so, there is going to be transferable knowledge, it's, of course. Uh, yeah, so and equipment, as you say. so what? Why not? Why not branch into that? Because I don't think the learning curve will be as high because I've got an underpinning knowledge of yeast and fermentation. Mm. So, yeah, but yeah, please do get in touch if we're just completely <laughs> lying on the show. I don't think we are. I'm not, I'm not intentionally lying. Like I just, no. uh, I'm ignorant of some of the some of the stuff that needs to be known, and um, because there is also an issue that, that there was with homebrewing for a long time as well, where a lot of the knowledge may have been around for a long time and not necessarily updated as science and ideas have, have updated, and so like if you're if you're if you've got information from when it became popular in the seventies. It's possible that some of the, that sort of cutting edge stuff has actually changed, but uh, people don't know about it yet. Um, so it's 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 worthwhile, I think, spending a while researching. Oh, that definitely. Thing. I mean, as as you can tell, the the, the book I am using, yeah, I, I was from I was the, so, so making so, a reference to that. So this book was given to me uh, by my stepmom, who used to make a lot of wine, and yeah. and that's that's you know. When I think of winemaking, that's who I think of. I think of my stepmom, um, and I mean, I'm sure she would love to try some of my wines. So I might have to take some up for <laughs> her. But look at the author. Look at it. I, I, we we we'll should probably a put a photograph yeah. of this up on the Twitter if we can. So the the book is C J J Berry first steps in winemaking, and I mean, this book is it's a beauty. Three pound ninety five. That's how much this book would have cost you back in whenever it was released, which I can only assume was the 80s. Yeah. Um, but the author, God, what a legend he looks like. But this is really useful, actually. Uh, so this, one of the things I've enjoyed about this book is it breaks everything down into months. So mm-hmm. like January, February, March. And it tells you which wines to make during that time. So it's oh, about it's about yeah, yeah. brewing seasonally. So it's like, okay, well... It's March. What's what's good in March? Right, let's look through this, and you know what to look for down the fruit market. And it takes it through very, very basically, but it also gives a lot of really good information. It tells you... I mean, if I just read the first four tra- chapters of this, I'd know a lot more about winemaking because it breaks everything down for you. Yeah. So yeah. maybe that's what I'll do. 
<laughs> so yeah, that, that's, but not right now. That's one way of learning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and like. um, yeah, doing sort of researching on on sort of modern techniques is also learning. Yes, and also the best way of learning I find is by doing and yes. brewing and making wine even and making you, your own mistakes. Yeah, even if you make mistakes, like it's it's a learning curve. Just when you're making wine, it's a really high gravity learning curve, <laughs> <laughs> and you, you get the results. Yeah, immediately. Much. Well, not immediately, but in in your hand. Yeah tangibly right um we've got some some weird things to try yes as a uh, comparisons of this type of thing but we should probably just cover a short little bit of beer ye beer ye it's time for the beer news he's got beer news what beer yeah. news have you got for uh, us then? so i know that this whole episode is not about beer but there is a bit of beer news in that uh, there is a product coming out right from mckella okay uh, that might be interesting to homebrewers in that they, so for a while now they've done a series of beers where they tweak one variable for yeah. each, each for the beer so the recipe is exactly the same except for one variable is changed and then you get to buy all of them in one go right okay interesting so you can like basically just kind of see how beer changes when you tweak each yeah. variable yeah that's amazing uh, and they've done the most recent series that they've just announced is water Right, I think is going to be fascinating. Not water chemistry. Uh, so, so the uh, the the chemistry of the uh, they picked four locations around the globe, and they've tweaked their water to match that. Yes. Right. Okay. So, so they haven't just imported water from around the world. Not that and brewed I know. With it. No, they've they've tried to emulate the um, the water profile of okay. these locations. So you've got uh, Danish water, right? Czech water, yeah. Uh, Pacific water. Which is that's very that's vague. a broad area. It's very vague. I'm assuming it's uh, the the uh, Pacific Northwest of uh, America, so sort of Oregon. Oh, uh, right, okay, that, yeah. like that type of thing. Yeah, um, because you know, uh, hopefully not just Pacific sort of ocean water. Yes, that might be salty, challenging. Yeah, salty. <laughs> Maybe for it goes. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, and then finally, um, UK water which they are specific about using burton on trent i was gonna water. say because like, like, like just uk again you've got so much variant yeah um we've got well, a lot of different minerals exactly like you know we're a big smooshy island so, so yeah i I'm, I'm actually kind of tempted uh it's you can buy a four pack uh that has one of each yeah and uh the 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 recipe is exactly the same except for the water chemistry so maybe we should maybe because I'd, I'd, I'd definitely be keen because it's be a good way of learning yeah. Of going, ah, the water chemistry does matter. Yeah. Or you go, ah, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. I can't well, tell. I, I mean, I'm, fa- I'm fairly confident it does matter, but yeah. it'd be interesting to see what the differences actually are. Yeah. the the Not only what the differences are, but the intensity difference as well. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, it's so subtle, but there is a difference rather than like, wow, there's a huge difference. Yes, yeah. Um, illuminating should we go get something to drink yeah let's it's have something that's not, not necessarily beer. going to be a wine now <laughs> well mostly yeah okay first fruit wine uh, <laughs> right so this is um a wine that i made probably about a year and a half ago um okay. so i f- do believe it is mango and grapefruit Okay, so, so tropical. Yeah, so I I mean, I don't know if grapefruits are tropical, but the mango is. Mm. Um, so I 
went down the fruit market and there was just a load of fruit going spare, so I bought it. I bought about 10 kilograms of fruit for like eight quid, which is a bargain. Yeah. I uh, carried it all back in my bag and made it into a wine. Now, what I found with all wines I've ever made is if you just hide them for a year, <laughs> they get better. They get better. So this sort is, of mellows. So this is what we've got here. I mean, that... If I it, like, look how clear that, that is. That is crystal clear. And this, is. like, th- this is what wine does. Like, wine just drops this clear. Mm. Like, it's insane. It's it's a very very light yellow, but with like a hint of hint of pink pinkish. Yeah. So I've through. never managed to get like an actual like super super white wine, mm. but this is definitely a white wine. Yeah. Um, and all of all of the wines I've made before have been white wines. Uh, so this should come in at about fourteen percent. Okay. So not bad. Um, how is it smelling? On the nose, there's definitely, there's a quite a strong hint of sort of higher alcohol stuff going on, yeah. as, as well as it's it's all the aggression of fruit with none of the sweetness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it smells it, like it's going to be bitter. It's a it's a farmhouse wine. Like these things are not supposed to be, um, in my experience, are not supposed to be refined and you yeah. Know, subtle so stick some in your mouth okay let me let me know how you feel about it um is it whiny is it would, would you say that a wine okay y- yes good there's, there's i i was right about the higher alcohols there is definitely a burn there mm-hmm. but every flavor apart from that is really nice i see i mean that's not quite nice yeah that's what I mean. Like, like if you tried this just after we bottled it, quite it was that one half bitter. That that grapefruit mm. really, really kicked your teeth in. Whereas now, that's a I'd say it's a very dry white wine. It's it is on the drier side. Yeah, but there there is a sort of residual sweetness and slight tartness. Yeah, so I think um, over time that balance between the three has evened out a little. It's a lot better than I remember. Yeah, I think I tried this one yeah like a month after you'd made it mm, and it was, was unpleasant <sighs> yeah. Woo, boy howdy but you know i mean that just goes to show like you know there's, there's yeah there's certain things that they just take time um i mean there's certain wines which shouldn't be aged but such as uh well it's just i know when you speak to like you know proper wine professionals <laughs> um there's certain types of wine especially like red wines i believe where aging them's good mm. like so if you get like a wine and it's hundred years old and it, it's just it it's got better over that time whereas your more commercially available red wine so you know the ones that you're getting at your, the supermarkets are the the standard acceptable price bracket mm. you're not supposed to age them because a lot of the fruitiness goes right okay. like that disappears like so you know you go oh, well this it's been 10 years it's like yeah, but it's not that type of red wine. Yeah. It's not the type of red wine that's going to get better with age. Is, is there sort of a, a live thing in that? Because some of the really expensive um, yeah, red wines th- th- still this, have This live. was just talking f- um, to a wine cellar. Oh, okay. Like people who, not, like not a, not a building. Mm. A person who Very sells knowledgeable. wine. Yeah, a person who sells wine. Um, and yeah, like, like they were just saying, like, you know, like some of the wines that you, you get a hold of just shouldn't be aged because... Mm. they're just they're just no good for it um whereas you know aging your own white wine or something like that but it's the same with beer i mean we've said exactly the same thing about all of all of the beers you've made yeah anything with hops really if don't, you, don't age it yeah but also if you try a beer and you go oh i don't really know about that and you want to chuck it 
keep some of it, age it, see what happens because you know stuff changes and gets better. So yeah, yeah. I'd say that I'd say that's what has happened with this wine. Is it? It's got better. Yeah, and now I've had a few more sips and I am used to the burn. For yeah. want of a better word. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm finding it palatable. Well, that's good. Delicious. That's a start. Well, fla- we- flavoursome. Let's not let's not go as far as delicious. <laughs> should we should we try something commercially made? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Right then, Mike, what what is next? It's not one of mine, is it? No, this is apparently an icon from the 60s. <laughs> Just much like this book. Yeah, <laughs> that I managed to find in my corner shop, of all places. <laughs> right. uh, it is, is it... something called Cherry B. Is it That's one they've the had B. in there from the 60s? <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably that old, yeah. Uh, it is a cherry wine. Right, okay. Uh, yeah. Does it have a best before date? Uh... Like 87. I'd, 1987. Uh, no. Okay, fair enough. Doesn't seem what's, to, but it is 11.5%. Okay. I mean, it's oh. it's red. It's at least as young as when uh, the legislation came in saying you had to state how many units were on it. Right, okay. So it's at least that young. I can smell it from here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in for a sniff. Okay, you're um, going for a big, long sniff. Cool, bl- it's, blimey, mate. It's, it's a tiny little bottle. It's 200 mils. It's clear glass with this... Very, very dark red liquid in it, almost black. I mean, that's interesting. Like, I mean, what I like is that we didn't decide to just drink nice wine <laughs> on this episode. Gluttons we, for punishment. We could have. We could have went, oh, let's 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 make this all real fancy. And we'll, I don't know, we'll put our smoking jackets on and get out the cheese board. And we'll do, we'll do the fancy upmarket version of By the Mash. No, instead we've got... My homemade grapefruit wine, <laughs> cherry bee, and God knows what else you've got yeah. in the back. Well, I'd, are you going to go in for a sip? You going to? No, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Because uh, musty smell is definitely the first thing. Oh, uh, there blimey, is that's there. sweet, sweet, Ooh. really, really sweet. And it's not unpleasant at all, but wow, that's like a like a cherry yeah. port. Yeah, wow, that is sweet. Oh, that, I mean, wow. that's. I don't know if I could do a bottle of it, but. That, that's actually quite nice. Yeah. It's very sweet, though. I think I would... Maybe I, it's because the grapefruit wine was so so dry, so yeah. tart, that this just appears a lot sweeter. What I did notice when you were taking a drink, though, was yeah. like how viscous. <laughs> I was like, it's a stained the glass red. <laughs> so, it's I presume... Heavy cherry flavour, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I presume there is still residual sugars left in there. They may have finished fermentation before... It, everything got yeah. done. If- yeah, I mean, potentially because it, it is it is definitely a sweet um, it is definitely a sweet wine. It's a dessert wine, I would say. Mm. It's the sort of thing that you would. I don't know if you were having like a, a Bakewell tart or something like that. You'd probably serve this alongside it. Yeah, I've, I've said some of the tradi- one of the traditional ways of drinking this is to mix it with lemonade as well. Mm. So you've got something that's a bit sweeter and bubbly. <laughs> So, so, so you mix the sugar with the sugar, but you end yeah. up with something like a slightly alcoholic cherry aid. Yeah, which is fine. Like, yeah, no, do I mean, that. like, I am, I am impressed. Actually, this is from looking at it. I wasn't expecting it to taste as nice as it does, <laughs> and from and smelling, smelling it, it oh, I definitely didn't expect yeah, it to taste as nice that as it does. Musty, so, musty attic smell going on in that. Yeah, as uh, like overriding any hints. Of, well, there's a hint of cherry, but the rest of it's just. But that when big. you taste it, very, very cherry. Mm. But like cherry sweets. 
Yeah. Like, you know, it was kind of like... Um, do you remember the uh, menthol sweet tunes? No. Okay, maybe that's a northern thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, or um, uh, Hall Soothers or something like that. Yeah. Like, if you removed the menthol from that and then just boiled them down, I imagine that's what it tastes like. Get the cherry one. I quite yeah. like that. Well, the again, I don't. I don't. Yours. I don't. Thanks. Um, I don't really feel the need to drink like a whole bottle. But no, I I am very glad that they sell it in two hundred mil bottles. I think that's a fantastic. God, can you imagine idea. that in like a seven fifty? Yes, <laughs> a bit much. Comes with a, a a normal bottle beer cap as well, but there's no carbonation. So interesting. Uh, yeah, I suppose at that sort of percentage, you probably don't need to worry too much, do you? No, and and it'll it, be sterilized. Yeah, like yeah. it's not live, so it it removes the um, the hint, yeah. Because with a cork, mm. there's always that hint that it's meant to be drunk over more than one session. Yes, yeah. Whereas, Whereas this, it's, it's like, like no, no, no. You're popping that and you're drinking it down the street. Yeah. Um, sh- should yeah, we let's try have another thing? Should we try a different thing? Right. What last? What last? Uh, so this is uh, a. Collaboration between Little Earth Project and Neon Raptor. Okay. Uh, Little Earth Project, who we spoke to at uh, Craft Theory this mm. year, actually. Um, so they specialise in sort of like wild fermentation beers, mm. uh, sours, barrel aging, um, and various other bits. And they tend to kind of forage a lot of their or grow a lot of their own ingredients. Um, so this is a, it's called Damsons in Excess, and it's a Damson Sour. Mm. Um, so it is a beer, unfortunately. So I mean, you say unfortunately. I'm quite looking forward to it. Six point two percent. So this was uh, the Guile 100. Oh, nice as well, actually. Um, so apparently, what happened was Neon Raptor received a large amount of damsons and were quite keen to do something a little bit more funky with it. So they contacted these guys. And that's pretty much what they've done. Uh, so it says here that they've added damsons during every step of the brew, and some were reserved to go directly into the barrels. So they barrel-aged mm. it, uh, and this is the blend of two barrels. Um, it's, it should be quite sour, hazy, and uh, light fruity complexities. Nice. So, so so it is. there is fermented malt in there, but yeah. there is also fermented... Fruit as well, yeah. Uh, damsons. Yes, yeah. So, so it's partly... Slightly wineish, but I mean, I suppose. I mean, yeah. If you if you want to think about it that way, I I will while I'm drinking it. All Um, right, and and they they were right. It is slightly hazy. It is hazy. Um, slight carbonation, but really not that much. No, uh, it might just be the uh, because a lot of the sour beers they lose their head retention is non-existent. Yeah, but even when pouring it, there was no there was no life. It it just had that very light carbonation. Smells amazing, like very classic uh, wild fermentation um, sort of smell smell. on the nose. Um, Absolutely beautiful smell. Smells like smells like it's going to taste nice. Go on, then st- stick some in your gob, swish it about a little bit, and uh, don't spit it out like you, do, would, you would do with wine tasting, though. How, how, how are you feeling about that? Is it enjoyable? It is sour. Oh, yeah, you don't like sour. It is sour. <laughs> it is also sweet and fruity. Okay. And, I'm uh, going to have a try now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that made my, um, my eyes scrunch a little bit with the sourness. Um, it might just be the contrast with the cherry bee, which was very sweet. Wow. But... Yeah, that is. I mean, I like that a lot, but I like sour beers. Um, but you like that, that a lot. Nice. That that is sour. Yeah, like 
it's interesting. It's almost got a sort of like sourdough breadiness to go along with it. Yeah. At the back end, I find. But it's quite sort of it's a quite sweet. Mm. Yeah, well, it's, at front, it's syrupy. At the, at the at the start, you go yeah. like, "Oh, what mm, nice, nice uh, damsony sweetness," and yeah. then, "Oh gosh, that's a lot of sour." It oh, is, my. it is exceptionally sour. But again, I mean, it, it's what these guys do so well. Like you've yeah. got you've got that wild fermentation um, sort of like farmhouse yeast funk to it, which mm. is just brilliant. Uh, the barrels like exceptionally good flavor imparted. Um, I just. I really like it. It's it's definitely it's definitely something that they should be proud of because it's very nice. Um, and Neon Raptor, I wonder whether or not Neon Raptor from that have decided to maybe start branching into, you know, working with these guys a bit more for sour beers. Because yeah, uh, if you if you are a fan of the sour sour mm. and the fruitier sour, God, that's one to try. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not a fan, but um, I mean like. Because you're normally pretty good at um, looking at these things objectively. Yeah. So, like, you can, can you see through? I mean, can you see? There's there's a... Because there is a middle ground, a lot of sour beers, where I do not actively enjoy them, but there's, an, there's enough there to enjoy that I can ignore it. Like, that, that is unignorable. That is, that is very in-your-face and uh tartness that try, i just try my wine try your wine yeah try, okay. try, like, try my wine after that okay let's have a go it's a lot sweeter than you remember like by comparison yeah and like, yeah you still get the bitter finish but that's yeah that's nice wonder if maybe you back sweetened it or something you, you did some nah man and that could be a, a good wine nah i mean i could back sweeten it i mean um, it's, a, it's a good enough wine anyway yeah i mean it's, it's reasonable it does the job but I mean, if I had to pick a favourite, I'm probably going the Little Earth Project. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But one, it's not a wine. No. Uh, and two, it's, it's uh, a we've only tried two professionally made things, and the Cherry Bee was okay. <laughs> 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 that's that's it, really. Yeah. Whereas Little Earth Project, I like what they do. Uh, I like Neon Raptor as well. And, you know, I like Sour, so that for me is... That's a five really, out of five, really, is it? Well, yeah, it's it's, it's just exceptionally good. <laughs> so... But you know, yeah, we haven't okay. exactly given it the best competition to run amongst. Uh, no, no, it's de- it's definitely easy to shine. Yes, above. yeah. yeah. Um, Talking of which, though, should should we have a beer that we did a long while ago? Ah, oh, do a bit of Final Gravity. Yeah. All right, shall then. we? Right then, what what's up next? Right for this Final Gravity, yeah, we have the beer from episode twenty five. Okay. And it was the Rye IPA. Okay, so um, before we get into it... Yeah. Did you learn anything? I learned quite a bit, yeah. Okay. So this uh, was a couple of firsts. It was my first foray into Rye. Yeah. Obviously. Um, it's also the first time using a bottle gun. Yeah, so this is this is something that we picked up a little while back. I haven't had a chance to use it yet, mm. but what did you learn from the bottle gun? Uh, so, uh, as you might be able to tell from the name, bottle gun is just a convenient way of bottling uh, straight from a keg. So rather yep. than having to uh, prime the beer with a certain amount of sugar, um, leaving a, a dusting of sediment at the bottom of the bottle, 
um, you uh, take it straight from the keg, blah, blah, yeah. blah, and, and that allows it to be as exactly as carbonated as you want yeah. and bright. So you can, yes. you can drink it from the bottle at your leisure. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you don't have to worry about any of the sediment at the bottom there. Yes, as, lo- as long as the beer's dropped out already. Like, yes, Obviously, yeah, yeah. if there's a small amount of sediment and then it drops out further, then yes, there will be uh, yeah. more stuff. But uh, it does mean that uh, since this beer was slightly warmer than the keg on which I bottled it from, it yeah. was very lively. Um, but not dangerously so. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you've got a very good head yes out of these just because more co2 has come out of suspension faster yeah um than you would have expected and you know rise very good for head retention it is very yeah. good for head retention so, i don't know if it's that good for head retention <laughs> that is banging but, but yeah there's there's still a slight haste to it um it, it's sort of a deep amber or copper sort of almost brown but not quite yeah um that was the intention good thing about it like a good head on a beer though is you get the nose on it straight away because oh, yes. like you as as those bubbles burst, you just get so much, and that rye is evident on the nose. Mm. Like it's definitely a rye IPA. You, so, can, you can smell it; it's real hoppy, and you've got that the I don't know sort of like dryness that rye brings mm. on the nose. So that that was one of the lessons that I learnt from having this beer is that I believe in the episode we talked about uh, Brewlosophy and their experiences with rye. Yes. And how they were sort of starting to believe that it's a myth that rye has a spiciness. Yeah. Turns out it does. It just takes a long time to present. Yeah. And one of the the great things about Brewlosophy uh, is that they drink their beers incredibly quick. They they yeah. brew a lot. They have a lot of friends around. Very and they often, drink them, and they uh, most of their beers go within you know a few weeks. Yeah, and I don't think it, it's possible that they might not have made a rye beer and then left it long enough for that the spiciness, the spiciness to come spiciness through. Because because this has it. I've definitely like, I've just had a taste of it, and that spiciness it's, is it's definitely, definitely there. there. And it definitely wasn't there. Yeah, for at least the first three months. It's almost just like gingeriness. Yeah, and and literally it wasn't there. All you could taste was hops, yeah. and and there was a, a lovely thick malt flavour that was yeah. there, yeah. but it wasn't spicy. It was you know a, a bit like crystal. It yes, was a bit yeah, like yeah. A sweet and biscuity caramel yeah. maybe. Whereas that, like that has definitely got the dryness and the the spiciness I was ex- I would expect from rye because when we were talking on the episode, I was still fairly confident that rye imparts a spiciness and you know i was open to the fact that it could just be a psychosomatic thing yeah but in my experience it kind of always has had that maybe not as pronounced in certain beers as others but definitely there in this one definitely there yeah and i enjoy it I, that's I, really good i enjoyed it when it was yeah. fresh i enjoyed it when it was just starting to present and i'm enjoying it now when yeah. it's quite strong I, so. I'm, I, 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 i'm enjoying this beer it is the hoppiness is there like it is definitely an ipa but that spiciness is really nice and for this time of year <laughs> yeah it's brilliant because yeah, yeah. this came out at 6.1 as well so yeah it's not... yeah so it's it's on the slightly pokier side of things but yeah not, that's... not for certain styles of ipa um... and now that the head's dropped off and i can get to it properly <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty pleased but yeah, it's a reasonable drink yeah no that that's that that's a very nice uh that's a very nice beer yeah and i, I can recommend using a bottling gun if you uh get the chance to use one um, yeah it's it can be a bit of a hassle the first time you do it but once you get into a routine it's fine but what we did is um because you don't i mean unless you're bottling a lot and you you're never serving from a keg 
um, then having your own bottling gun tends to work. But what we've done is we've just kind of went, uh, so three of us have kind of bought a bottling gun and we just share it between us. Yeah. Um, so that tends to work quite well um, because you just don't need one all the time. You don't, no. So, you know, like if you if you are considering getting one, like do if like you know if 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 you feel that it's going to be beneficial but you know see whether or not anybody else in like your homebrew group is interested in getting one as well and then see whether or not maybe sharing one yeah is a good idea um because i think we've got the blickman one yeah there there is other types out there uh, it's 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 good it's got a uh so you can connect it up to a co2 source as well so that you it allows you to co2 purge the bottle and then immediately switch to filling with beer yeah and so you you fill to exactly where you want, and um, then immediately put a cap on it, and it's it sort of minimises oxygen con- uh, oxygen contact. pickup. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, you're never going to eliminate it, but um, it's it's a lot better at reducing that in in sort of homebrew standards. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, which is brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and because uh, that's one of the that's one of the factors that makes homebrew taste more like homebrew and less like a commercial. Uh, beer is, is yes. always one of the simplest things that can happen is is a large oxygen pickup in bottling yes yeah or packaging well i mean i think i think that's about all we have time for really isn't it yeah uh, we've tried, definitely tried some interesting things some uh, beverages of all sorts <laughs> yeah um so i think next episode we are planning uh we're planning to leave the house Yes, I believe is 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 the idea. Um, we will let you know where uh, later <laughs> yeah, date at, at, uh, but, on the episode. Yeah, but we are planning on leaving yeah. the house, so neither of us will be brewing, but we will be hopefully going somewhere where they will yeah. be brewing. And I'm um, still planning that London Porter. Don't worry, that is that is happening. Yeah, just uh, not um, next episode. If you are interested in any equipment, so we talked about the the bottling gun. Uh, we talked about certain bits for wine making. Um, if you go to our partner's website, uh, themaltmiller.co.uk, you can find all these things there. Um, they've got a really good range, and they're always really happy to uh, help out with any advice. Um, for anything that you might need, you can always get in contact with them. You can find them on Twitter, find them online, email them. Um, if you've got any questions about anything we're doing, or if you've got any advice for us, especially on today's episode, um, then please do get in contact at the uh, at by the Mashton on Twitter or by the Mashton at gmail.com. and yeah, just let us know your thoughts and feelings. Um, also, you know, you can like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Yes, Reviews really help us yeah. out. Um, so yeah, I think. That's about yep, it. Yeah. And I'll I'll see you next time, Mike. Yeah, bye. Bye. bye.